Welcome to another episode of Kansas Policy Institute's podcast. I'm Paul Sutar, your host, and joining us today is the president of the Kansas Policy Institute, Dave Trobert. Hello, Dave. Hi, Paul. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, so uh, we recently talked about uh, the uh, budget and taxation issues that came out of the legislature, but they did a lot of other stuff, and some of it uh, actually some good things that we want to talk about today. Let's um, let's start with what do you think is the is probably the the biggest accomplishment? Well, there's there's five issues uh, we want to try to cover here today. Uh, the first one I think is the most important, uh, the most significant, and that's the elimination of the old school f- funding formula. Uh, creating, putting block grants in place for two years as a temporary stopgap while that new formula is is being built. And I know we've talked about that, but that's a huge accomplishment uh, because Kansas uh, has, you know, there's this notion that the more you spend, the more you will achieve. And it's just been proven to be absolutely false, not only in Kansas, but across the country. Uh, we have uh, a, a really serious student achievement problem in Kansas um, that is given short shrift because most of the discussion ends up talking about the inputs, how much are we spending. The purpose of uh, having school funding is to educate students, and we need to be talking about that. So that hopefully will be part of the uh, process that will be undertaken once we start getting that new formula creation underway. Right. And now there are some advantages, you know, not just for the the, – Um, people who are concerned about how much taxation is being pulled out of the Kansas economy. But also, there's some advantages for people who, uh, like yourself and me, want to see the schools improve. Absolutely. And they haven't decided yet how this process is going to work. Probably there will be an uh, an interim legislative committee appointed to begin study on this over the summer. Uh, But there's some real fundamental questions that have to be dealt with before you can even give a single thought to how the formula should look. Uh, for example, uh, what are we going to fund at the state level? Uh, you know, what that gets down to um, is what what are what is every citizen in the state, regardless of whether you live in Wichita or Salina or Garden City, uh, what are you responsible for funding for education for students all across the state? I mean, some of it's easy. It's the it's the basic math classes and the science and the reading and so forth. Uh, but what about the stuff outside the classroom? Uh, whose responsibility is that? And and that some of that gets down to another element of it is uh, all this controversy about how much comes from the state versus how much is local taxes. So one of the things they probably will look at is should all of what is considered to be adequate funding come through the state budget and then just have the local districts uh, pay for what is truly considered the extras. And the extras might not be more service. It just might mean we want to operate inefficiently. I'll give you a couple of great examples. Right now, because um, the legislature is kind of on the hook for all of school funding, uh, then every citizen is on the hook for their share of whatever schools want to spend. So if you live in Wichita, you're ultimately chipping in for the Shawnee School Mission District to have uh, a retiree health care program 
uh, for for their for their retirees that are it's largely paid for by taxpayers. Uh, if you live in Salina, you're helping to pay for other school districts around the state to have two retirement programs. Capers isn't enough for some school districts. They want another retirement plan on top of that. If you live in uh, Johnson County, you're paying for the Topeka School District to have twice the level of administration that the Shawnee Mission School District has. So if, if the local taxpayers want to support that, well, I guess that's, I think it's fair to say that's their prerogative. But why should those excess costs be borne by people who don't live in the district? So th- these are some really fundamental questions that we're going to have to get at uh, before we start looking at a formula. Yeah, it would be really nice to see, and and hopefully some of our listeners remember this because it's not that much in ancient history, but back when we had a previous uh, court-ordered giant increase in school funding, uh, the legislature created the 2010 Commission, and one of the functions that they were supposed to do was to make sure that the money was spent efficiently and effectively and that there was some comparability and Almost none of that happened, and it was sort of an afterthought at the end, and schools objected, and and uh, the head of the 2010 commission sort of gave them a pass. I personally would, would like to see, and not just for my tax dollars, but for my grandkids' benefit, some comparability so that we could, schools can look have a chance to be urged to look around and say, well, you know, this district next door, they're, they're getting a lot more for their dollar. How are they doing that? And they're giving the kids more for their dollar. How do they do that? And right now that doesn't seem to happen much. That's right. The, the efficiency uh, is another big issue. Are we going to require schools to operate efficiently? Uh, and every, you know, taxpayers would probably generally agree that any element of government should operate efficiently, not, not, cheap, not cutting a service, but to provide that service at the best possible price without a suffering in quality. So are we going to require that? Uh, and if districts want to go beyond that, should that be a, a local uh, option? Maybe that's what the local option's for. Uh, what you're also talking about is accountability, because one of the factors of getting more money where it's going to do uh, some good for the kids is making more money available for instruction. And so when you ring out uh, so many of these other operating inefficiencies, that frees up money to go to the classroom. So how districts are organized, you know, are we going to have 286 payroll systems for 286 school districts? Or are we going to have seven or one? Are we going to have 286 accounting systems? Right. These simple administrative functions that can be done regionally or across the state by a single entity, whether it be the state or some outside source, uh, that all frees up money. How does that or does that get wrapped into the uh, formula? And the final thing, I think, is the ultimate in, in student focus is where's the accountability for the outcomes? Right. If schools are getting the money they need to provide the education, but for whatever reason, we're not closing achievement gaps, at what point does the formula allow uh, – provide some uh, teeth in there that's going to hold the schools accountable, whether to, you know, that could take a lot of different forms. Uh, If you're in a district that just isn't performing uh, and putting out, you know, can't close those achievement gaps, can those kids leave and go somewhere else? 
yeah, it would be really great to see a better look at those issues and some better standardization among uh, the school districts and the accounting practices and reporting practices and actually see school districts required to make the reports that the legislature tells them they need to make and, and are even yeah. required, but they still don't make. Right. Now, let's let's move on. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned was uh, renewable energy mandates. Uh, right. That's Kansas. Been a- that's been a real problem, I think, for a lot of people. I've watched in the years since that's uh, gone into practice, uh, my electric bill just keep going up and up and up and up and up. Right. The the uh, Kansas has uh, ha- had uh, a renewable energy mandate that's been in effect for a few years, and basically it's telling utility companies that starting out they had to go provide 10% of their power from renewable energy sources like wind or uh, biofuels and so forth. Most in Kansas, it comes from wind. Uh, and that had to that would scale up to 20% over time. Um, the, uh, the problem with that is, is one of cost and one of freedom. Uh, as you said, the, uh, and, and the wind industry didn't disagree that the costs were higher for wind, they disagreed with how much higher they were, but there's no question that that mandate was requiring citizens to pay a higher price. It's also taking them away their freedom. I mean, Kansas doesn't have uh, a utility system uh, that allows you to go shopping. Uh, you move into a neighborhood and you buy your power from the company that supplies that neighborhood. So you're 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 not only forcing them to spend more money; they don't even they can't go anywhere else. I mean, it's an absolute. Uh, a very large freedom issue. So what happened, I mean, there have been a number of efforts over the years to get rid of the mandate. Uh, It's now gone with new legislation. It will become a voluntary goal. Uh, Utility companies will no longer be required to provide any level of their energy from renewable sources. Um, It's just those, the numbers stay in place, but they go from being mandated to being more of a policy goal. Uh, we, it, wouldn't it be nice if we did this kind of thing? Right. It'd be interesting to see how the utility companies react, because I can see, um, as long as they're able to get away with doing it, I can see them continuing this as a way to curry favor and uh, you know look good to certain groups and, and those sorts of things. Well, utility companies uh, have, uh, because there's a mandate, now they've gone out and entered into long-term contracts. So in some cases, they probably couldn't get out unless they have an escape clause that says if this no longer becomes a mandate, then we can cancel our contract. But uh, they may be uh, contractually bound to continue purchasing that more expensive uh, energy for at least some period of time. And, you know, it's it's not like all of the costs of that can go away because utility companies made uh, a lot of capital investment to comply with this state mandate. Uh, and so that cost is already baked in. That's not going to come out of your utility costs. So that this should have a, uh, uh, a positive effect on utility rates going forward, but it's going to be more of a lessening of the increase than rolling back the clock. Yeah. Well, that's better than where we've been going. Yes, it is. Now, there was also some movement. uh, Actually, it looks like mainly just some corrections in the tax credit scholarship program. Can you explain how that works? Yeah. The uh, last year, the legislature passed a law that said that uh, low-income students 
attending the 99 worst performing schools in Kansas, and, and that's as determined by the Department of Education. Low-income kids in those 99 schools were able to leave and apply to a scholarship granting organization to get uh, a scholarship to go to another school, uh, mostly uh, to go to a private school. Uh, Corporations can make contributions to these nonprofit organizations and get a tax credit uh, for their gift. And and then that money is held and used by nonprofit organizations to grant scholarships to low-income kids. There were a few technical corrections made this year. Probably the biggest one was that a change that allows the students in the Wichita area to have much more opportunity to participate. Uh, and that's because the schools that are run by the Wichita Catholic Diocese don't charge tuition. Uh, and since they didn't don't charge tuition, it's hard to get a tax credit scholarship to pay tuition. So the law was changed to allow for uh, a direct payment to the school if a student uh, is is wins a scholarship uh, of their choice, then the cost of that can just be paid directly to the school. Um, so that's that that's a huge benefit for the kids in the Wichita area who otherwise uh, only had uh, a very small choice of perhaps more expensive uh, private schools to go to. Right. Well, it's good to see something happening in that regard with Kansas. I know we had some movement there last year. Uh, it's very interesting. I, this is a topic I, I'm uh, very interested in. Uh, it was interesting to see what uh, Nevada did this year and uh, see what Absolutely. ripples that sends out across the country. It's really encouraging to see more and more states expanding their school choice options, particularly for students uh, who come from low-income backgrounds and, and or have uh, special education needs. Uh, unfortunately, in Kansas, I mean, this is the only school choice program we have in Kansas, uh, and the reason is the education establishment, the school districts, the school board association, the unions, uh, all oppose anything. Uh, they don't want it's, – it's more about keeping the kids trapped in the institution – protecting the institution rather than having a student-focused approach. So it's really good that we have this tax credit scholarship, that we were able to get some technical corrections made, again, over the very strong objections of the education establishment, but uh, very, very good for students uh, going forward. Excellent. Now, there was also some uh, uh, news on the Medicaid expansion front. Yeah, uh, the, the, the news is nothing happened. Um, that's, uh, that didn't get uh, a lot of press, but there was a very large push to have Kansas expand Medicaid under Obamacare. Uh, and it's, uh, there's no question that we need healthcare reform in Kansas, that we need to do things and the legislature can take action. That's, that's a whole nother podcast, but, uh, the legislature can take action that would make healthcare more affordable and more accessible, but Expanding a government program does just the opposite. I mean, we've already seen that Obamacare has caused very large uh, premium price increases in Kansas, even after they said this will reduce the cost. It's actually increased costs. But if we had expanded Medicaid, um, it would have cost Kansans $12 billion in the first 10 years. Yeah. Uh, that, that just, I'll just pause there for a minute. That number, I mean, people have a hard time wrapping their heads around a, a number that big, but 
put that in, in perspective to what the state's annual budget is. The general fund budget is about $6.4, 6500000 million. It's, that is billion double. Dollars, right. It, yeah. Uh, uh, or billion dollars. So, yeah, that, that cost is uh, over 10 years would be twice what we would spend in the entire state budget. Um, yeah, so we're, it, and it, we're worried about spending a, about a, a, a supposed four hundred million shortfall in one year. <laughs> Holy cow! If this Medicaid expansion had gone through again, it's another example of oh no, we really want this, we really need this. Well, how are you going to pay for it? Oh, let's not talk about that. Well, the the, the talk is it's all free money uh, because it comes. You know, there's you know the first three years are supposed to be paid by the feds. Well, the feds don't have any money. They just have your money. Uh, but they've already spent all of your money. So they go out and borrow. Uh, you know, Medicaid is not a pot of money that's sitting there waiting to be divided. And if you don't participate, more goes to other states. Uh, every time a state signs on to expand Medicaid, uh, the federal dollars that have to be spent increases the amount that has to be borrowed. That has to be paid back, and the only way to pay that back is to raise people's taxes. So uh, the fact that it's coming from the federal government just means it's running through a different conduit. It's still, you trace it back, the person who writes the first check is the taxpayer. Uh, so you look at the federal borrowing, the interest on that, and then eventually you know what the state portion would be. And, of course, this all assumes that the federal government maintains its promise to pay ultimately 90% of the cost of these expansion programs, which I don't think anyone in their right mind really uh, believes. Certainly many in Congress say that's not going to happen. Even even Gover uh, President Obama has hinted that, you know, this, this thing might not be sustainable at the 90% level. So <laughs> very good that we were able to avoid that. And, and again, the only reason to, there's a common theme here, the only reason that it was cons really considered, the reason the legislators wanted to vote for it, because they thought they could get it reelected if they said we voted to expand Medicaid. Right, right. More goodies to hand out. Doesn't matter yep. who's paying for them. That's it. Now, the last thing on your list was property tax reform, and uh, this one I think needs a little bit of explaining. Tell me, tell me about, tell us about how that is. Sure. Well, uh, this is one of the things that you know a, a number of uh, conservative legislators were saying. Look, if if you're not going to allow us to look at the budget, and you're going to force us to only look at tax increases, we want something else to go with it. Uh, and this property tax reform initiative uh, came out of the Senate. Um, and what it, what was intended to do was to say, uh, there, there's basically, I'll simplify this, there's two classes of property that a government looks at. There's the, what was here last year and what's that worth this year. And then the other class is the new construction. What, what what wasn't here last year, and, and now we have new construction. Well, the new construction piece is exempt uh, from this calculation, but the law says that if the, um, if the tax, if the government, the government cannot increase the tax on that existing class of property by more than inflation unless the public votes to do so. Um, there's some exceptions to it. The House insisted on watering it down. They wanted to make it more government friendly. Uh, and so any infrastructure projects, anything that they can claim are state and federal mandates uh, are exempt from that inflation calculation. But it is an improvement. 
that will finally give citizens some degree of direct control over how much their property taxes increase. Right. And and for me, and I think a lot of citizens out there, that's really the bottom line that I think Kansas has been missing for a while, that with the lack of transparency, with the lack of accountability, uh, with the lack of citizen input on some of these tax increases, uh, with the overbearing influence of certain special interest groups, um, we're just cut out of this loop in many ways. Yeah, it you know it it's uh, the pushback is well that's why we elect people uh, that we ought to trust uh, uh, the elected officials to do the right thing and surely they will. Uh, but you know this isn't uh, new uh, ground that's being broken here. This is what's done all the time with with school property taxes. If schools want to increase their LOB beyond a certain level. Uh, they have to get the citizen approval. If they want to take on new debt, they have to get citizen approval. And that helps keep taxes under control because it's, it's you maybe in theory you could say that government wouldn't, surely wouldn't spend more than it needs, but we all know that they do. And I'll give you an example. Uh, county property taxes, not all the entities within a county, not the cities and the schools, just the county taxes went up 125% between 1997 and 2014. Inflation over that period was 44%. <laughs> now, there's just, yeah, the, the chuckle, yeah, that's that's one of that uh, sad humor. 125% while inflation is 44%. Something needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dave, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to bring us some good news out of the legislature, that uh, some things uh, were done positively. Um, looking forward to seeing how uh, these have an effect on us and uh, hopefully uh, some more positive in the future. Uh, now, I assume, as always, that uh, people can find out more about these topics on the Kansas Policy website. Absolutely. KansasPolicy.org. Very good. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks, Paul.